Hello and welcome to PA Podcast number 21. This week's guest is David Riley, Head of Credit Strategy at Blue Bay Asset Management. And as you might have guessed from his title, the topic under discussion was all things credit. But we did spend quite a lot of time on why he sees great danger lurking in duration. I was reading your, your outlook statement for 2017 and, and in it, the theme that, that very much comes through the whole thing is that there's a regime change coming in your view. What exactly is changing? Which regime is changing, I should say, and where do you think it's going? Well, I think there's two aspects of regime change which will have very profound implications for the investment environment and for the way that investors should construct portfolios and, and think about investment strategies. And the common thread is the rise of populism, nationalist economics, um, Trumponomics, uh, dare I say. And hand in hand with that is also a a sort of popular and political rejection of the lower for longer negative rates, more QE, which has been seen to benefit the asset rich and, and has been part of the problem. So... What we think is uh, emerging is that we're going to have a break away from this lower forever uh, uh, belief, which has been embedded in in many portfolios, not just in fixed income, but I think more more generally. And combined with that, some reversal of globalisation, more uh, unpredictable nationalist economic policies and politics, which will also create some disruption and dispersion winners and losers. And so, again, there's going to create, I think, more volatility and a broader opportunity set, I think, for um, active investors as well. So the combination of those two things means that we're facing, I think, higher interest rates in a way that portfolios, many portfolios are not positioned for, and greater dispersion in asset performance um, cross asset class, but also within um, assets as well. Mm. Now, does that 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 view then mean that you're likely this year to be better suited to having lots of smaller positions that that kind of hedge your bets that that sort of help to ameliorate against that dispersion increase, or, or do you need then much higher conviction bets in the hopes that that, that you get them right? Well, in our view, well, first, as you qualify and say, it clearly does depend to some extent on, on what you as an investor, you know, risk parameters sure. um, that you have and, and the return targets that you're um, looking at. But in, in our view, the sort of hugging the benchmark, um, looking to uh, minimise your uh, uh, tracking error against that uh, uh, benchmark is being a strategy that, frankly certainly in in high-grade fixed income, um, has been relatively rewarding when everything's been compressed um, and, uh, if you like, sort of benchmarks have been flattered by um, ever lower rates and quantitative easing. We do think that we're now in an environment where you should be able to and taking stronger conviction, research-driven um, positions within your portfolio, you should be willing to take more tracking error and, and everything that that implies as part of your long-only strategies. We do think there's 
also opportunities for more unconstrained and multi-asset, multi-credit type strategies to exploit the opportunities um, that are going to be in the place. The you know one bottom line is is if if you look at um, whether it's active, long only, or, or more passive strategies, particularly in fixed income. You know the level of amount of duration risk which investors are now running in those strategies is is huge. If you think of something like the the sort of global ag index, a, a popular um, index, then the duration on that index has gone from what one and a half, two years to almost seven years. And at the same time, the yield on that index has fallen from four or five percent to around about one and a half percent now. So you don't have any cushion, and you're actually running a huge amount of um, duration risk. So actually, to your point, sticking close to those kinds of um, benchmarks, you're not minimizing risk in our view. You're actually um, taking on more risk than you really want to be taking in an environment where we do think we're going to see interest rates globally moving higher. Mm. It's interesting because, and the, the question of duration and duration risk is an interesting one because I think a lot of people got caught out on the other on the wrong side of it yeah. the last time, and so long duration assets did better than than people were expecting to, and, and they'd moved to duration or they'd moved shorter duration that you know in the expectation that they would perform, and, and they didn't. Uh, and things a lot of the the um, the absolute return type products that have a bent toward shorter duration didn't do as well as people had hoped in, in the defensive in, uh, defensive assets and stuff like that. Is there a danger now that people are going to go the other way and say, well, clearly it didn't work the last time. I'm going to go long duration now at precisely the wrong time. I think there is a genuine uh, danger. There's uh, a number. A lot of investors have been burned, if you like, by some previous episodes of where. Um, it was there were expectations building that, um, led by the U.S., led by the Federal Reserve, that interest rates were going to be um, uh, moving higher, and it actually then didn't um, uh, materialize. And although, um, if you look at the commentary and speaking to a lot of investors, as you know, many do think that the lows in interest rates were probably seen during the course of. Uh, the summer of 2016, um, the actual reality is is that relatively few have have seriously addressed the duration risk which is in their um, portfolios. If you look at where market uh, pricing is at the moment, it's still actually only implying something like you know two interest rate hikes by the Fed during the course of um, 2017. Um, that we will have. Uh, uh, you know, very low interest rates in, in Europe and the UK um, for a number of years uh, forward. That quantitative easing, although the ECB has started to uh, reduce the scale of that, will nonetheless be continued beyond uh, the end of um, 2017. So the sort of lower for longer mindset, that so-called sort of new normal, is still very strongly embedded. So um, you know, investors have started to adjust their um, portfolios. You know, put on place some some um, uh, hedges, but in reality, uh, we still think that there's a huge amount of um, duration, not just in fixed income, but also in some credit portfolios, even in equity portfolios, where um, it's been the sort of fixed income proxies, mm. the utility, the sort of dividend um, stocks that have um, uh, have been have have been favoured. So I think a lot of portfolios need a lot of transformation before they're properly positioned to adjust to a regime where we are going to be moving um, into a higher interest rate environment. That being said, though, 
And as we've seen, and as you just said, things seem to have been taking longer than people expected them to. So there is a danger that this could be extended perhaps further than, or even further than, than perhaps people were, were expecting it as well, before the actual change happens. Well, I, th- I think one of the key aspects is that um, right now you're seeing a uh, synchronized global uh, economic pick up. Uh, you're also seeing inflation uh, moving significantly higher. Part of that is clearly to do with uh, the recovery in commodity and in um, oil prices. Uh, a number of economists, most importantly the, the, the US, is at full employment. So we're certainly seeing both a pickup in activity and a pickup in inflation. So the underlying fundamentals are there. This is also though where we come to the other aspect of the regime change, which is the um, you know, potential reversal of globalization. Globalization was a huge disinflationary, deflationary force into the global economy, both in terms of wages, but also in terms of the prices of, of, of goods and services. Um, if we move, as we've already started to move to a more protectionist uh, environment, um, not just coming out of the US, trade barriers more generally have been um, sort of quietly becoming more, uh, com- coming into to force more. That in itself is inflationary. That is going to put upward pressure on, um, on, on, on prices. So we do think the underlying both structural and sort of cyclical backdrop is, 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 is much better uh, for that. Is there lots of uncertainties and volatilities and, and, and you know, is this going to happen in a straight line? Is it going to be linear and smooth? Um, absolutely. Nice. absolutely. Well, that would be very nice, but uh, I, I, I fear and suspect that it, that won't be the case. In which case, again, I think, you know, some of the less constrained um, including absolute return type strategies are potentially better placed now to perform than frankly they have been over the last two or three years where essentially you, you, you just kind of rode the, the, the duration wave, the duration rally. Uh, David, talking about the, the, the spanners that could be thrown into all of these works, one of the big worries is the dollar yeah. or, or an, an excessively stronger dollar from here. And I, I was at the, the, the SOCGEN uh, Albert Edwards' presentations yesterday, and, and clearly they're coming from a, a specific point of view, but, but one of the speakers there was saying that there is a significant probability that we'll see a much stronger dollar from here, and that will cause all manner of things, particularly for emerging markets, uh, in the short term. How, how do you see the dollar moving from here, and, and what, what kind of impact does that have on the reflation trade, on the, 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 the outlook for, for emerging markets as well, and, and just generally for credit markets? Yeah, it's, it's certainly, I think, the case that um, the US is leading the, the reflation process. If we also get some of the tax changes which will have an impact on um, uh, effectively the cost of imports and the cost of US uh, uh, exports, then these things combined will put upward pressure on uh, upward pressure on the US dollar, and we've seen a reasonable rally in the US uh, dollar. I think interestingly, the uh, you know one of the uncertainties and unknowns is where do you get that um, strength? Is it against the other majors? Is it against the yen? Is it against the euro? Other developed market um, uh, uh, currencies like like sterling? Well, sterling has its own 
um, issues as well, or is it against emerging markets? And it's interesting, at the moment, emerging market currencies have proved to be actually, after the initial sell-off when Trump was elected, um, actually pretty resilient. If you, um, if, you, if you look at the performance since then, it's actually been uh, Mexico, which is clearly a specific idiosyncratic case, yeah. Um, and Turkey, which is sort of idiosyncratic political risk associated um, with Turkey. Otherwise, most other emerging market currencies have held in. Now, that's not to say that would necessarily still be the case in a stronger dollar environment, which will put pressure on some um, emerging markets. But that's where I think the dollar and what's this regime change will be very interesting. I mean, t two aspects. One is um, the winners and losers. And this is where we would... I think go towards and we are constructing portfolios where we are taking bigger conviction more concentrated positioning um, within some of our emerging market um, portfolios because we do think there's going to be uh, you know winners and losers from 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 this regime um, change who do you think the winners are going to be well the, the, well if the, the winners um, in this environment are potentially the uh, some of the commodity sector because they're not really going to be subject to, we don't think, to the sort of protectionist um, uh, uh, barriers that will um, start to uh, emerge. Uh, plus also if we do as part of the regime change, which again we do think this part of this regime change is a shift from monetary to fiscal policy, then that hopefully will spill over in terms of public investment and, and a pickup in infrastructure spend and that that has positive implications but also some of the larger closed domestically driven economies um, Brazil um, uh, India for example are those kinds of economies that can do quite well the ones that potentially we think are quite exposed are small open economies that send a lot of manufacturers um, and which are tied into if you like the global and in particular the US supply chain so parts of Asia potentially you know Korea Philippines look actually potentially quite vulnerable where you really do have to I think as an investor and, and, and this will be I think a recurring theme through 2017 as it was to some extent in 2016 we also have to look at is what happens with a, this backdrop and with a stronger dollar to developments in China mm. and you know, one of the concerns, and it's one that we certainly recognise, and, and we're looking to try and at least put in some place some hedges to protect against or partially mitigate the, the negative impact, is the pressure that will build on the Chinese currency as a result of a stronger dollar. China clearly doesn't want to have its currency dragged higher um, by the dollar, and is so far managing to broadly keep it stable against a, 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 a broad basket. But that could change. I mean, the, the pressures are certainly there. Mm. And I suppose, if nothing else, it's changing the basket a little bit to, to try and mitigate against those factors uh, well, as well. Yeah, most recently they've just made some of those ch changes. And, and they've also been tightening some of the um, capital control. So they still have you know, tools at their disposal. And there's a leadership transition change towards the end of the year, mm -hmm. September, October. Um, and we do think that political stability is first and foremost the top priority and that will you know dictate that they will do their best efforts to ensure that their markets and their currency are, are relatively stable but it's definitely a risk factor with, 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 without a doubt. Uh, talking about the the opportunity set more broadly, so so clearly they're, they're going to be winners and losers. But from a from a technical point of view, 
if you're not playing duration, what, what parts of the credit spectrum are you playing? Is it, are you looking for, for um, liquidity premia? Are you looking for, for um, anything else? Yeah, well, in terms of the way that we're approaching uh, credit, I mean, firstly, we have, broadly speaking, a bias towards US assets relative to, you know, European and the rest of the world. You know, the US is leading the reflation. We do think that's a pretty back, positive backdrop for growth sensitive um, assets in the sort of broad fixed income space that clearly would include um, uh, credit, in particular high yield uh, credit and things like convertible bonds, which, um, you know, combine both a very low duration, but, but also some um, uh, equity uh, upside. Uh, more generally, we have a bias whereby we're saying to ourselves, well, we actually want to be owning higher yielding assets and where the yield on those assets, other things being equal, we'd rather have that yield lying above, if you like, the uh, um, duration of that um, duration of that security. So um, it's, it's kind of as a rule of thumb, it's not, you know, an absolute sort of sure. uh, rule, but as a rule of thumb, that's the one way in which we're looking to um, position some of those uh, credit portfolios. Things like um, other hybrid securities, corporate hybrids, for example, in Europe, which weren't part of the QE, which by the ECB, and, and so their relative value got distorted because um, they weren't eligible for, for purchase by, by the ECB. We think there's some value um, there. And then sectors, particular sectors, for example, like financials. Um, banks, I mean, they faced a pretty much a perfect storm during the course of last year, um, an environment where interest rates are moving higher, steeper yield curves, more market volume, more market um, volatility is an, an environment where we think the regulatory environment is, if not becoming bank friendly, because I think that would be stretching it, but less bank hostile, um, is one where uh, financials, you know, capital, um, senior debt, uh, subordinated debt can actually um, outperform. And even though we've seen, you know, quite a strong pickup over the last couple of months, if you look at it over a sort of one, three year horizon, there's still actually a lot of performance to, to, to make up in our view. Uh, what I did notice the other day, interestingly, uh, there was a comment saying that in Europe, particularly while we've seen a backup in yields and, uh, and sort of prices coming down, there's at the same time been a conversation and, and a concern about the the continued scarcity of, of, of actual bonds. And, and that seems to be in conflict with each other because prices shouldn't be falling if there's a scarcity of bonds still. How, how do you parse those two things? Yeah, that's a, it's, it's a really good point. And um, one which is, um, which we, we think about and debate a lot. Um, and you can tell I'm responding in that way because there's no simple solution um, to that. You're absolutely right that one of the challenges investing within Europe is that, um, you know, you've got a scarcity of risk-free asset. And, you know, if, if Bund is basically your risk-free asset, you know, they're just not generating many Bunds. Um, and there's lots of regulatory reasons and, and other reasons why many investors uh, look to hold them. So, you know, Bunds could be the asset which is really quite resistant to higher yields. But it also means, I think, that um, Bunds are becoming less of a sort of reliable benchmark for what's really going on in terms of fixed income within Europe as a whole. And if you look at, um, you know, French bonds, if you look at, uh, uh, you know, 
semi-core for want of a better term and then also to the periphery then we have seen yields move higher part of that is also to do with um, political risk as well in in europe which clearly is going to be another sort of recurring theme um, during the course of uh, 2017 so you're absolutely right yeah burns have got this incredibly powerful technical basically there's just not enough of them to um, to, to go around. So, you know, we would be much more t and are much more tactical in terms of our positioning on burns, but we do have a, a, a short bias across many other sort of government bonds within uh, the Eurozone and, and, and including the UK for that. What is your view of the UK? It does feel as though there's quite a, a growing bifurcation in, in views toward the outlook for the UK this year, partly predicated on Brexit, but, but are you bullish or are you bearish, generally speaking, on, on the outlook for UK assets? Generally speaking, we're bearish. And the UK economy has so far held up better than um, uh, expected. But we continue to use that, frankly, as an opportunity to reduce some of our credit exposure to sectors in the UK, which we think are vulnerable to um, a you know, sharper slowdown or a more prolonged period of stagnation or low growth um, in, in the UK economy. And we do think that both uh, interest rates and, and, and sterling have got further to move, sterling you know, to, to, to decline and, and actually interest rates to move higher. I think it's quite a difficult situation that the Bank of England finds itself in, whereby the weakness of sterling um, is starting to feed through into um, higher inflation we do think inflation could surprise onto the upside and that will also then be against the backdrop of an economy that if not going into recession will actually be we believe um, slowing so when the rest of the world we're talking about reflation and what that means for assets um, i think when you look at the the uk uh, you're more likely to get a stagflation type environment emerge during the course of 2017 and going into 2018. David, very quickly to close off with, where are you most bullish at the moment? Uh, we're most bullish in terms of uh, financials. Uh, we still think there's a lot of room for um, uh, bank uh, capital to continue to uh, perform against this backdrop of higher rates, uh, steeper uh, yield curves. And we do like uh, US credit, uh, both uh, shorter duration investment grade and, and high yield. Well, that's it from this week's edition of the PA Podcast. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you do have any ideas on who you'd like to hear on the podcast, please let us know. Hashtag PA Podcast on Twitter.